Amen? God wants us to walk in holiness. He wants us to walk in a place where we, we see, we experience, and, and walk in his holiness in our lives. But how do we do that? You know, that's certainly a question that each and every one of us have to contend with. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. I, I want to ask you today to kind of open up your mind, open up your heart. I don't know what kind of background you come from, where you come from. I want to talk about something today that tends to bring a little controversy. Um, again, uh, may not be the kind of controversy that you're thinking about. But we need to open up our hearts and realize that God has truth for us. You know, there's a lot of things that I, that I learned growing up in church that weren't really biblical. They were just church stuff. I mean, I learned church stuff, and I, I learned from people that grew up in church, and so they always did this because that's the way we always did this, but never really sought out what the biblical foundation might be for why do we do the things we do? Why do we believe what we believe? Why is it that we, you know, all of this? And much of, of like what we're going to talk about today, much of that for many of us is determined by what we were raised in. And I'll explain that a little bit more as we go forward. We're moving into the next portion of scripture in Luke. We're moving, uh, again, we're steamrolling through this gospel of Luke. We're in chapter one. And today we, we're gonna move into this next set of scriptures, verses 57 through 80. And I, I find so much wisdom and so much in here and so much that I, uh, I, I wanna take the time to go through this as we continue to examine this God-man, Jesus. Dr. Luke is giving us his investigative study results as to what he has found out as he set out to study, to talk to eyewitnesses, to hear what people said, to hear what people were talking about. And he set out to find out what the truth was. He was hired by a name, man named Theophilus and he went forward and did what he was hired to do, and he did this deep, investigative, uh, unbiased study of, is Jesus truly the God-man? Is he really God? Is he really man? Is he really who he said he is? And did he really do what people were saying? And so we have this investigative study that we're going to look at. And in this set of scriptures that we're moving into, we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptizer. So starting in verse 57, let me just uh, read through this set of scriptures, and then what we're going to do is over the next few weeks, we're going to break these scriptures down and take a look at some of the details of this. But let's just get an overall picture of what it is that God is saying in this. So starting in verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. Amazing, isn't it, that it happened just the way God said. She had a son. Come on, amazing, isn't it? Yes. It's not so amazing. God does, does he, when God says something, God does something. Amen? Yes. It's awesome. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he should be called John. They all said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father. I, I wonder, you know, the Bible says that, that uh, 
Zechariah was rendered mute, not deaf, but here they all were making these signs to him like he couldn't hear or something. And so he's making these signs, inquiring what he wanted him to call. He asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. Have you ever noticed when God starts to do something really cool, something miraculous, that a lot of people get scared? It creates fear in a lot of people. This is what's happening here. It created fear in all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Imagine that, a gossip line. Everybody's talking in a small town about what happened. They talked in the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them upon their hearts, saying, what then will this child, uh, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness, in righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, Whereas the sunrise shall visit us from on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you and I pray, Lord, that your word would go forth in this place to do that which only your word can do. I pray that your word today, Lord, would bring salvation to those that are lost, bring healing to those that are hurting, those that are sick. Father, I pray that you would bring restoration to those who are emotionally broken. I pray today, Lord, that you would release those who are bound in depression and anxiety by the power of your word. Let there be freedom today, Lord, by the power of your word. And I pray that each and every heart would receive, Lord, what our ears have heard. And you would help us today to hear your word, to receive your word, and to experience your word being rightly divided unto our lives. Thank you for this today, Lord. And I pray your blessing over everything said and done in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen. So we, we go here and we get into the story of, of John the baptizer and John and his birth somebody that we've been looking forward to, been looking forward to since we started the study of the gospel. For weeks and weeks, we've been talking about this anticipation of this young man. And, and again, what, what this shows us in here is it shows kind of the way in which the Bible is put together. You know, the Bible is put together, and you know, God, it's amazing how God knows what he's doing. And the Bible is filled with a, a number of things, but what the Bible, in a, in a very, 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 very basic sense, is filled with promise and fulfillment. Promise and fulfillment. 
Promise and fulfillment. God gives us promises. God gives us prophecy because God is all-knowing. He is sovereign. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And so God gives us these promises, and we call them prophecies. And then these prophecies, they imagine this. God prophesies, and it comes to pass. It's fulfilled. God does what God promised he would do. So God gives us promises and then he gives us fulfillment. And all through scripture, we see this happening. We see this happening in this story right here. These promises and prophecies were given about the birth of John, the birth of, and all that he would do. And it goes back hundreds, even thousands of years into the Old Testament where God begun to give promises of this young man that would come, this man that would be birthed to be the predecessor or the, the, lay the groundwork for the coming of the Lord. And then we see in the Gospel of Luke, and we start in chapter 1, and right away, we start to hear about this young man, and we start to hear about this, I, I think it's just an amazing, wonderful, intimate picture that God paints for us that we can have about what it is that's going on in this whole setting, in this scene. We have this elderly couple, this older couple, and they're barren. Much like in, in Genesis, we read about Abraham and, and Sarah. And we've got, in the New Testament here, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, this country priest living in this rural town, this little backwoods kind of place, the Judean wilderness, the Bible says. And he and his wife, they, they through all these years, had never been able to conceive. They'd never been able to have a, a baby, but they always wanted a baby. And in that day, it was kind of looked like a curse if you didn't have a baby. And they always wanted a baby because they wanted to have a baby. But they also wanted to have a baby because without having a baby, they looked like they weren't receiving the blessings of God. And yet, in all of that, they were still continued to serve God faithfully. They still continued to be uh, uh, faithful to the ministry that God had called them to, even when God wasn't doing what they thought God should be doing. And all these years, they were asking, God, we need a child. We want a child. Provide a child. They were asking God for that. Hadn't happened. So now we have Zechariah, and again, just recapping quickly, Zechariah, the, he's the priest, and he's called, as the priests do, once, twice a year, they would go to Jerusalem, and they would go in there, there were 850 priests or so, and they would draw lots to see who got to go into the Holy of Holies. And so Zechariah, he was there, he was in Jerusalem, and for the first time in this old man's life, he was drawn to go into the Holy of Holies. And he goes in to make sacrifices for the people, to make sacrifices before the Lord. And he's in there. God hadn't spoken in hundreds of years since Malachi. And now he's standing there. And all of a sudden in this place, the angel Gabriel shows up. And he comes into this place. He shows up. And the angel Gabriel begins to prophesy. He begins to make promise to Zechariah from the Lord. He says, your prayers have finally been answered. You're going to have a son. And the son is going to be born. And you're going to name him John, which means God is gracious. And so Zechariah, not knowing what to do in this moment, he does what probably, you know, most of us do. He said something he shouldn't say. <laughs> and he says something he shouldn't say, and so God renders him mute. He, he, he can't talk for the next nine months. God gives him nine months to consider what are the first words that come out of your mouth going to be. And then a little time later, 
the angel shows up again. The angel Gabriel comes to a little girl, this young lady, 12, 13, maybe 14 years old, comes to this little girl named Mary. And he comes to Mary and says, Mary, back in the Old Testament, Isaiah made a promise. He was anointed of the Lord. He made a promise. And he said that a virgin is going to give birth to the Messiah. And they, people are going to know that this is the Messiah because a virgin is going to give birth. And that's the only time it's ever going to happen. It's the only time a virgin will ever have a baby. And Mary... You're the virgin. Again, she's engaged to be married to this Joseph, these two teenagers, these, these kids. And then the angel tells her that Elizabeth is pregnant. And so the angel uh, leaves and Mary goes and she goes to see Elizabeth. And there's this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth that happens. But even as, mo as amazing or more amazing is there's an interaction that happens between the babies in their belly. John and Jesus begin to interact together. And so today, what we read in the story here is that John is finally born. Elizabeth gives birth. She has a son. She finally gets to be a mom. Her dreams have come true, all that she'd ever wanted. In fact, according to what she said, God lifted her reproach because she now had the great gift of a son. God had blessed her. And then everyone started to share their opinion about what the baby should be named. Some things never change, do they? I mean, some of you didn't even want to tell people what you were naming your child until after your child was already born and named because you didn't want the family arguing with you about what you were going to name the child. Come on, some things never change. Everyone has an opinion. Amen? Amen. It is tough. Well, everyone had an opinion here. And they all said, everyone came to her and they like, almost like the voice of God, well, let's name him Zechariah. And Elizabeth says, no, we need to name him John. <gasps> what? John? John? And can't you hear all the little the ladies in there? They don't even have anybody named John in their household. They don't even have any relatives named John. What do they think they're doing? Can you believe that? John. Who names their child John? Oh, that's just a dumb name. Why would they do that? You can't name him John. There's nobody in your household. We need to go to a higher authority. Zechariah. Zechariah, you know, starts to respond. Give me a pad of paper. And he writes on there, his name is John. And at that moment, his mouth is opened. His tongue is loosed. And he begins to, he begins to give up. He begins to do what he had rehearsed in his mind. He begins to bless God, praise God, worship God, celebrate God. He just begins to cry out to the Lord. And they raised this young man, they raised John the baptizer to a life of devotion, a life of ministry, a life of service. Second generation or more, I don't, I don't know, Zechariah's parents or in the ministry before him, but at least a second generation ministry family. That's kind of a little recap on what is going on in all of this. Now, again, some things started to stir in my heart as I was going through this. And, and I, I posted the other night uh, just asking people, you know, who's the greatest man that's ever lived? And um, I got some different res results from that. 
Um, but if I was to ask you before I started the sermon, if I'd have asked everybody as they were coming in the door, who's the greatest man that's ever lived? I, I mean, aside from Jesus, we know Jesus, Jesus being fully God, fully man. Jesus is the God man. Jesus is in a category by him. So I mean, Jesus, he's the greatest man that has ever lived, bar none, amen? So let's just take him out of the equation for just a moment. And aside from Jesus, who's the greatest man that's ever lived? In your mind, who's the greatest man that's ever lived? Heard Moses, heard Elijah, heard all, you know, all sorts of different things. But I, I, I bet that had I not kind of led into this whole thing with the scripture and had I asked you this question first, I probably would not have had very many of you that would have answered, well, John's the greatest man that's ever lived. Not too many probably would have guessed him, but he was. And I'll show you in the scripture. It's actually spoken of twice. Twice in scripture. Once by the angel Gabriel and once by the Lord Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, the angel Gabriel, after being silent, listen, there had, God had not spoken from heaven for some 700 years. And all of a sudden, the first thing he does, the angel Gabriel comes from heaven to bring a word to speak from the first, for the first time. And he comes and he says, he says uh, in, in the prophecy, he says, many will rejoice. He's talking to Zechariah. Many will rejoice at his birth. Talking about John. For he will be great. There's our word. That he will be great. He'll be great before the Lord. And... He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's the angel Gabriel. And then later on in Luke, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 28, it says, Jesus himself said, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Of those born of women, none is greater than John. That's a powerful statement right there. That, I mean, he just said something really, Jesus is saying, none is greater than John. That John would be the greatest. And again, there's a number of reasons for that as to why John would be the one that Jesus would say, there is none born of women that are greater than him. But again, we have to understand the kind of greatness that he's talking about. For many of us, you know, we have this kind of false sense of this understanding of what humility is. We think humility means we can't aspire to greatness, but humility does not mean that, that, we're, that we can't aspire for great things. What humility means is that we're willing to aspire to greatness in a way that pleases God. I want to be great in the sight of the Lord. I want to be great according to God's qualifications, according to God's way. Even a group of men came to Jesus one time. You, you remember the story in Scripture. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do we have to do to be the greatest? Jesus, what do we need to do? And you know, I, I, I always kind of thought about this and wondered, you know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He didn't rebuke them. What Jesus said when they asked him is, he said, be humble and be a servant of all. Be humble and a servant of all. When they asked Jesus how to be the greatest, 
He said, be the humble servant of all. And, and if you look, that's what you see in John. From the time of his birth, he was a humble servant of all. He, John is the greatest because he was willing to become the least. One of the most powerful things we hear John saying is when John says, he, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. He was the humble servant of all. And he was the most humble servant of all. And Jesus said, amongst those born of women, there is none greater. And, I, and again, so in that context, I want you to know, it's not a bad thing to aspire to greatness. It's not a bad thing at all, providing you define greatness biblically and you pursue it humbly. He wants you to walk in greatness. Well, I'm going through all of this and I, I realize, you know what, this is just too important to just kind of breeze through. We need to take a look at this. We need to do a character study. Listen, in, in this whole thing, I, I just really think we need to stop and take a look at who is this guy, John? Who is it? And what is this guy? What makes up this guy, John? And we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to take a deeper look and do a character study into this guy, John. Because listen, if Jesus says he's the greatest man born among women... And the angel Gabriel comes and tells of the greatness of this man. If, he, if, if there's hundreds, thousands of years of prophetic promise that's been given and it's going to be fulfilled in the birth of this one man, then this is a big deal. Amen. Come on, amen? Yes. Come on, help me out. It's a big deal. And so we're going to look at what made John great. What is it about John that made him the greatest? What made him? What was it in his life? What was it that, that, that created this sense of greatness? And we're going to break these things up and take a look at these things. And, and why I think this is so important is because each and every one of the things that scripturally I see that make up what the greatness of John are things that you and I can aspire to as well. Amen. It's amazing how God did that. And therefore, we need to understand this. If this is the description that God has of this man, we need to understand so that we can implement, so that we can see these things in our life made alive. So what is it that made John great? Okay, to break these up, I'm going to just, today, I'm going to focus on just one of those items. And the first thing that we see that made John great was that John, he came from spirit-filled parents. He had spirit-filled parents. The Bible says that Elizabeth, his mom, and his dad, Zechariah, that they were spirit-filled. That's what the scripture tells us, amen? amen? In Luke chapter 1 and verse 41, it says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Elizabeth was Filled with the Holy Spirit. I, you can do the same thing. I did a word search and I went into my concordance and when it, you break it down and you look at, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You will find that it is the exact same words that Dr. Luke, the author of Luke and the author of Acts, the same guy wrote both of them, it's the same exact words he uses when he's talking in 
Acts chapter 2, about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, when the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And everywhere through Acts, you will find it's the exact same words that are used to describe what he's describing right here that Elizabeth was experiencing. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. And then in the story here, in the scripture, it goes on to say, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she prophesied over Mary. So here she prophesied. In, Zech- in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, talking about Zechariah, John's father, he says Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Same words that were used in verse 41, same words that are used throughout the, uh, the book of Acts. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Under the power, under the unction, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he prophesies over his son, John, at his birth. And so we need to understand, if, if we see it here, it's the same thing that's happening throughout the book of Acts, we need to understand something. We need to understand what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? I mean, what does it mean to you? Can I think it's something that because of the way in which the church has approached this for so long, and we've kind of steered away from it, or we've gotten into our two camps and we've just left it there. And so either we believe that spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, spirit-filled, not speaking in tongues. And we never come to the place where biblically, have we really stopped and asked ourselves, what does it mean Ask the word of God, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? I, I, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but I think that it's extremely important for us to understand because the Bible says that from from the womb, John was spirit-filled. And he was the greatest. So what is it in the greatness of John? Part of it was that he was spirit-filled. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Great, spirit-filled. What in the world are they talking about? And then some of us, you know, some come from charismatic Pentecostal backgrounds. And so we're like, yes, I, yes, spirit-filled. Thank you, finally, pastor. We're gonna get a line going. <laughs> some of us, and I led them, went to youth camps where crazy stuff started happening and it freaked you out. It spooked you. And you got all weirded out because there was like stuff going on. People were going and slain in the spirit and people were speaking in tongues and then people were trying to make other people speak in tongues and it was like crazy. I, I couldn't make heads or tails of what was going on. And we got spooked. And and so we go, man, spirit-filled, uh-oh. Pastor just said spirit-filled. You grabbed your wife and said, hey, in just a minute, I'm ready to get out of here. This is going to get weird now. I know it. There's going to be spirit-filled stuff going on, and I'm going to get all freaked out. I don't even know what it means, but I know it's weird. And the reason that we think that is because usually those who who talk about being spirit-filled are weird.
Now, sometimes it's not bad to be weird. You know, God, God says you are a peculiar people. Hey, John the Baptist, he was as weird as they come. The guy walked around wearing camel hair, eating bugs, honey, living in the wilderness. I mean, I, I was reading through that. I thought, this guy's a prepper. <laughs> He's already getting ready for the tribulation. <laughs> living off grid and all that. But sometimes there's a good weird. And church, sometimes there's a weird that is like the I'm on TV in glowing white clothes sitting on a golden throne kind of weird. And I want to blow on you and you're all supposed to fall down. Now, again, there's different weirds. There's different kinds of weird. And in the midst of all of that, we need to biblically find out what does it really mean to be spirit-filled? Because generally... Generally, what happens, and, this, and again, please, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going into a place where I've had to readjust some of my beliefs. I've had to readjust some of my theology because the things that I grew up believing, I found that, that again, and I, I, I believe in, I don't want you to think I'm you know, going un-Pentecostal. <laughs> but I've had to readjust some of my thoughts because of the Scripture. And so we think about being spirit-filled, and the first thing that we think of is go to the book of Acts then. We go to the book of Acts, and, and in the book of Acts, it says so-and-so or so-and-so. They were spirit-filled, or the spirit fell, or the spirit came, and they spoke in tongues. And so if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be spirit-filled. So if you want to be spirit-filled then what you need to do is you need to go up to that white guy sitting on that golden throne and you need to let him put his hands on you so that you can speak in tongues and then you can be spirit-filled also. And church, that's not what it means. It's not. It's not what it means at all. And if you want to this is one of the things that just helped me to open my eyes, and I, and I hope it helps you as well to begin to, in your own journey, find what God is saying to you about all of this. But if you want to understand what it means to be spirit-filled, what it means in this, don't, don't start in the book of Acts. Start in the Gospel of Luke. It's one author, two books. I mean, it was Luke. He's the one, Dr. Luke, who went out and he did the prequel, he did the sequel. He's the one who wrote both of these books to the same man to begin to verify the, the reality of Jesus, the reality of the church that was birthed. And so we start in the Gospel of Luke because Luke wrote them both. And so we go to the book Gospel of Luke and what you'll find in the Gospel of Luke is that Luke talks about the Holy Spirit more than any of the other Gospels do. Luke wants to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. Luke wants you to know about the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know what's going on. He tells us in this. He says it starts right off the bat, saying in the very beginning that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. So if Zechariah is spirit-filled, now just walk with me through this, my thought process here, and you can decide if I'm wrong or not. But if Zechariah is spirit-filled, then 
and, and the word of God tells us that he's spirit-filled, then being spirit-filled means that I need to do ministry like Zechariah. Then being spirit-filled means that I need to attend, attempt to be like Elizabeth because Elizabeth was spirit-filled. And when we look into the New Testament, the spirit-filled experience begins right here in the beginning with Zechariah, Elizabeth, and with John. So whatever it means then to be spirit-filled, we can begin to search and find our understanding right here in the Gospel of Luke. And you will see a little bit later, we'll get to this eventually, that Luke says that Jesus is spirit-filled. That Jesus was filled with the spirit. Well, Jesus is spirit-filled. So ultimately, ultimately, to be spirit-filled means to be like Jesus. To attempt, to aspire, to determine in ourselves, to be like Jesus. That shouldn't freak you out. That shouldn't mess with any of you as far as your theology or all of those things. Being spirit-filled means I want to be like Jesus. In fact, if you're a born-again Christian, that should be exactly what every one of us aspires to do and to be. I want to be like Jesus. Amen? Amen? Come on, I mean, that's what we should all be aspiring to do. And you know what? John, in his life, John spent the entirety of his life aspiring to be like Jesus. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Elizabeth and Zechariah, in their life, aspiring to be like Jesus because he was their God. Even though he was still in Mary's belly, Jesus was their God. And if you're born again, he is your God. He is our God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what does it mean to be spirit-filled? If you um, go through and read through the entirety of the Gospel of Luke, and, and again, I would suggest that you do that. Go through the entire Gospel and then you'll come to, eventually, you'll read through the whole thing, and you will come to the very next book in the Bible, which is the sequel that Luke wrote. You'll come to the book of Acts. And you'll see repeatedly where it says that, that so-and-so, or this, this individual, or that individual, or this group of people, this people group, you'll, you'll see where it says they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then there's this little word, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Now, some people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. Totally believe in that. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Paul says that for you and I, that should be something that we aspire to. One of the gifts that we long for. That should be something we want. Speaking in tongues is a private prayer language that is between the Spirit and God. It's something that he blesses. It's one of the gifts that he talks about as a gift of the Spirit. But it's also, in Pentecost, it's also something that a foreign language that was poured out at that day of Pentecost when all of the disciples were poured into the street that day and and all began to speak in tongues and everybody heard them. 
and again, just as a side note, I believe that God in this was doing some things to restore what had once been lost. At the Tower of Babel, the people, they were attempting to become God, and God confused their languages and sent them out into all these places so the people could not understand each other. And here at Pentecost, what you see is all these people and all these languages coming back together, and for the first time since the Tower of Babel, everybody could understand one language. Again, that... That will be a whole nother sermon some point, but here we see that, that they were, and they were, they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. Now, if you continue to, if you read in Scripture, and if you read in what Luke is saying in the Gospel of Luke, you'll say that, see that sometimes it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. You'll find it says they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied. You'll find that they were filled, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they praised and worshiped and celebrated God. Sometimes it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and deeply convicted of sin. And it says that sometimes it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and convicted to repentance. Sometimes it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were, they were empowered to serve God. They were empowered to the ministry. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and performed signs and wonders. Miracles begun to follow after them. Listen, the Bible says there's a lot of, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they did these things. And the point, my point is this, and I believe in all of those things. The Spirit comes in and Jesus should come out. The Spirit comes in, Jesus comes out. The Spirit comes in, and Jesus comes out. And church, it's not always the same way. We are all the body of Christ, and these things are distributed to each as God sees we have need. That doesn't mean we don't seek after them. It just means that God's the one who does the pouring out. And some of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will speak in other tongues. But that may not be the particular gift. And for many people, well, I didn't speak in tongues. So I must not be filled with the Spirit. Why doesn't God like me? Why does he hate me? Why doesn't God want me to have this blessing? Why, God? Why? Let me tell you, some of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and preach the Word of God powerfully. Some of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed to teach Some of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will serve like no other. Some of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in a servant's heart filled with humility. Some of you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and worship God with all abandon. Some of you will minister like nobody else. Some of you will repent. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit He manifests himself in a lot of different ways. And the Holy Spirit longs, desires, will, is manifesting himself in you in the born again. Let me also, let me just, because I I know it has to, you know, drive God crazy. You know, at a certain point, I expect people to stop calling my kids it. Amen? How's it doing? The Holy Spirit, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a he. 
not an it. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes the person of the Holy Spirit. When he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he says that, that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit can be grieved. That the person of the Holy Spirit can be quenched. That the person of the Holy Spirit can be resisted. In the Bible, even though the Bible describes the work of the Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit as inanimate objects, or, or, or thing, he, he, often he's described as, as wind or, or water or, or uh, fire. But those are evidences of his presence. He's not, listen, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's not an impersonal. In fact, the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit, let's not get this out of our mind. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen. He's God. He's the third member of the Trinity. He, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one, or three entities, one person. The fullness of the Holy Spirit lives within the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And listen, you know what the Holy Spirit loves to do? The Holy Spirit loves, 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 loves to glorify and honor Jesus. So we know when the Spirit's at work. And we can tell when the Holy Spirit is at work in somebody's life because we can tell that when people start to love Jesus. Holy Spirit's the only one that can draw you to that place where you really truly in your heart love Jesus with an agape kind of love. Holy Spirit's at work when people are truly from their hearts worshiping Jesus, when people are serving Jesus, when they want to be like Jesus, when people are being transformed to be like Jesus, when people are beginning to repent and confess their sins to Jesus. We know that these are evidences of the Spirit's work in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit because, listen, the Holy Spirit loves to show off Jesus what the Holy Spirit does. In fact, listen, the Holy Spirit, listen, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was written by men under the inspiration of who? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. From cover to cover, every word has the inspiration of the hand of God by the Holy Spirit that's been written into each one. And do you know that from cover to cover, the entirety of Scripture is all about Jesus? In the very beginning in the garden, it begins to talk and tell and relate to you and I the reality of Jesus and his redemptive work. And in the very end in Revelations, it tells you about the finished work of Jesus Christ and the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. It tells us about who will be there. It tells us all about Jesus from cover to cover. And it's the Holy Spirit that inspired these writings and inspired us that he would reveal to us the person and the workings of Jesus. So what it means to be spirit-filled, it means that the Holy Spirit begins to take residence in us, to live in us as Christians, as the born-again followers of Christ, that our life begins to be transformed and empowered, that the gifts begin to move in us, and he begins to do different things in us. The Holy Spirit begins to work in us, begins to minister in us, he begins to transform us from the inside out. It's an inside-out work that the Holy Spirit does. And when the Holy Spirit starts to do his inside-out work, we will never be the same again. 
was reading a, a man named Wayne Grudem. He was, write, was reading about what he was writing about the Holy Spirit. And he wrote about this. He said this about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's an event subsequent to conversion in which the believer experiences a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit that may result in a variety of consequences, including greater love for God, greater victory over sin, greater power for ministry, and sometimes the receiving of new spiritual gifts. So church, when you become born again, you become born again. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes and the Holy Spirit begins to regenerate your life. When you become born again, accepting the, the Lord Jesus Christ as God and receiving the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life, he comes into our hearts and the Holy Spirit begins to regenerate our lives. The Holy Spirit begins to take up residence in us. And the Word of God says that when that happens, that we receive a, a new heart, that we receive a new mind, that we receive a new nature, that we receive a a new life, and that is the call of the baptism or the sealing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're sealed unto that day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and to reserve our spot in eternal life. But the Bible also tells us of multiple times that in our lives that we would have these multiple fillings of the Spirit that would occur throughout our lives. Multiple times where we would see the Holy Spirit fill our lives and guide our lives and change the course of our life. And I hear people, they ask, I've been asked, well, then how, how, how do I be filled with the Holy Spirit? What do I have to do? How, how, can I, how do I do that? And I, and I was looking and I honestly had not seen this before. Do you know in Scripture, there's only one place in Scripture that tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's only, only one I could find. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not be drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And just like a drunk gets drunk multiple times in our lives, you're going to get filled with the Spirit multiple times. He's going to fill you up many different times. He's going to come and, and just pour out His presence in different ways. doesn't mean He's not there all the time. It just means there's sometimes we're going to see this place where even like a drunk, sometimes they go out, have a couple beers, and only get a little bit lightheaded. And then there's other times where they go out and down a 12-pack, and they're wasted. God says, listen, I, I want you to be filled. And this is the one place, and understand this, when God says, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. This whole thing. Do not get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That sounds pretty straightforward to me. It's a command. And church, I don't know how you view it, but I view it like this. When God gives us a command, it's a sin not to do it. Amen. Only a couple of us, amen, that one, huh? <laughs> and Jesus shows us John here because John is a perfect example of this. John is a perfect example. You know, John never drank alcohol, never touched his lips. 
and he was from the point of his mother's womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is John. He was never controlled by a substance. He was never controlled by anything worldly. He was only controlled by the Spirit. And this is what called him into greatness. And listen, for some of you, you're filled with all sorts of stuff. Some of you are filled with prescription medications. Some of you are filled with non-prescription medications. Some of you are filled with alcohol and wine. And these things that are controlling you, these things that you're letting control and letting yourself be hindered from what it is that God really wants to do. Oh, God wouldn't hinder that. Yes, he does. Sorry, you don't get to act, live, do whatever you want and think you're gonna be in right standing with God. It doesn't happen that way. You see, God's saying, don't be filled with that stuff. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with Him. Let Him inspire you. Let Him transform you. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him be the influence in your life. And that's what it means to be Spirit-filled. And church, it's not, it's not that we have to you know, beg God. Listen, it's not that the Holy Spirit isn't willing to fill any Christian. He is. And you don't need a guru. You don't need a guy in a white gown. You don't need me. You don't need some big grand experience to be filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, let me just get work off of this analogy for a little bit that Jesus gives us. Because Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the Holy Spirit and the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the effects of the Holy Spirit, like a wind. Right? Yes. Talks about this wind. And, and you know, when a wind is blowing, you don't know where that wind has come from. You don't know where that wind is going. You can't really see that. All you can do is just be, be there to experience the effects of that wind that blows. Well, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus describes him as a wind, he is always blowing. Always. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what it, it simply means that you and I live our lives in such a way that we're like a ship with the sail up. We're just gonna keep our sail up. Keep your sail up. Come on, the wind is blowing, so keep your sail up. He's moving, keep your sail up. He desires to take you places. Keep your sail up so that your sail can be filled with the Holy Spirit because if your sail isn't up, there's no way that the wind can fill your sail. I don't care how hard it's blowing. You need to keep your sail up so that the sail can be caused to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's his presence, that's, that's his power, that's him coming and directing our lives, him coming to, to, to change the course of our life, to direct the course of our life, to take us where he wants us to go so that he can take us where we're supposed to be so that we can become what we're supposed to become and we can do what we're called to do, that we can do those things all by the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit fills our sails to take us where he desires us to be. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be, have our sails filled with the wind of God. Now again, in that analogy then, and I want you to know that in that analogy, God is always at work. He's always, listen, God, the Holy Spirit is at work in this place right now. 
He's at work in some of you convicting you of sin. He's at work in some of you convicting you of the call of God in your life. He's in, he, right now, he, he's at work trying to encourage some of you to the ministry and to what you're called to do in your life. He's wanted to move in you to salvation. The Holy Spirit's the one that's doing that, and he's alive and active, and he is moving in this place. The wind of his presence is blowing. It's blowing back and forth, doing that which only he can. The problem is that many Christians take their sail down. Take their sail down through those secret sins that you don't want anybody to know. Through the unrepentant sin that you just, hey, I'm covered by grace. I'm going to do whatever I want. Let me tell you, that's not grace. We take our sail down by believing false, lying doctrines, by not discerning the truth. We, we take our sail down by believing foolishness, by making bad life choices. We take our sail down by excluding ourselves from fellowship in the body. We take our sail down. Church, we say, take our sail down by rejecting good godly counsel because We don't like it. We take our sail down. And then church, what happens is people take their sail down and then they begin to wonder, why is God, why isn't he active in my life? Why isn't God doing in my life like he's doing in their life? Why isn't God doing in my life like he's doing in these lives over here? Why is it that I can sit in the middle of a service and I know that there's an anointing, but I can't seem to feel God? I can't be moved by God. And everyone around me is being touched by God. Everyone around me is doing, they're progressing and I'm not. Everyone else is being taken somewhere and I'm not. I'm still stuck right here. God, where are you? When we get that place, God, help. Where are you, God? Why aren't I being moved? Why aren't I being filled? God, where are you? And we refuse to do the things that we need to do to put our sail up. And you know it. Maybe you justified it in your own mind, but you know it. And God, we think, well, God, see, God's just mad at me because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. God's just angry. See, he hasn't forgiven me. He hasn't cleansed me from any of that stuff. See, God, he just picks and chooses who he likes. He must like them better than me. He must like her better than me. He must like him better than me because I've been, I've been going to church all this time and God doesn't do for me like he's doing for them. What's wrong with God? Why is, see, I'm broken? You know what? That's not what God's up there thinking, saying, doing. He's not with his hand back ready to just smack you on the back of the head. He doesn't have his knuckle ready to give you a thump. You know what God is saying to those whose sails are down right now? Son, daughter, come on, put your sail up. Come on, I got places to take you. I got plans for you. I know the plans that I have for you. Put your sail up. Come on, I got things I want to do in you. I got places I want you to go. I want to see you unloosed into this world to go places that you never dreamed that you could go. Put your sail up. Put your sail up. Stop that sin and repent, the Bible says. Repent. 
There's a dirty word in church. <laughs> repent. Amen. Some of you need to repent. Yeah. Quit sinning. Repent. Turn from that. Repent isn't being sorry. Repent is being transformed. You change. You, you turn away from. And in repentance, it's, it's this place where in repentance we can put ourselves. And God's like, repent. Open up your Bible. Open up the promise. Open up the power of my word. Come into this place and begin to grow in your understanding. Spend some time in prayer. Get on your knees. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. Get on your knees and cry out to the one who can change and transform everything. Pray. Get yourself into community with people of like mind. Get yourself into a life group. Get yourself into a place where you can begin to glean one from another. Put your sail up. Keep your sail up. Don't let your sail go down. Continue to fight to keep that sail up in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of the blowing of God's presence. Keep your sail up. Don't get scared. God has you. He controls the wind and the waves. He knows how to stop your storm. He also knows how to quickly get you where he needs you to be. Put your sail up. God's saying to you right now, put your sail up and I will lead you. Put your sail up and I will guide you. Put your sail up and I will empower you and I will enable you to do what you need to do. I will gift you with the gifts of my spirit and I will pour my life out to you. I will encourage you. I will transform you. I will change you. I am perfectly willing to do those things. But you must avail yourself. By putting your sail up. Avail yourself to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Worship team, would you come on back up? You know, God wants every single Christian. He wants wants everybody to be spirit-filled so that we can live spirit-filled. God wants that for each one of us, and the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us as believers. And church, repentance and faith and truth and wisdom and service and obedience and abiding The Bible talks about abiding in him. Are ways that we keep our sail up. Come on, have you taken your sail down? See, one of the things about John is that John, he came from spirit-filled parents. Listen, Parents who kept their sail up. And in this instance, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It's what the Holy Spirit did in them. He had a prophetic word from God. And Elizabeth spoke that prophetic word over Mary, the promise, and then the fulfillment. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Spoke over, he gave the promise over his son John and then the fulfillment of that promise 
came to pass in John. And church, understand that as a church, we believe in that. We believe in all of that. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the activity of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit can give you a word that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy. Have a word that you can give to somebody in a moment of need that brings hope into their life, that brings something into their life that they have need of. We believe all of this. But church, what we reject is that being spirit-filled means that everybody has to be exactly the same. Everybody's got to do exactly the same. You are all the body of Christ. And each and every one of you is distinguished. Each and every one of you is, is as individual as the fingerprint on your hand. And in God's eyes, you are the fingerprint of God. You are as unique and individual as you can be. And God didn't create you that way, put you in this place and fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you could be just like everyone else. He made you the way he made you and he put you in the body, in the place that he wants you to serve and it's the Holy Spirit who will do those things. And listen, that's, he doesn't want us to be exactly the same except for two areas. There's two places where God wants each and every one of us to be exactly the same. And one area is in where, how we love Jesus. He wants us all to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all that is within us. He wants us to love Jesus like that. And two, that he would control our life. That the wind would blow in your life and that he would control your life. Not you. Because I promise you, you're going to screw it up. The Holy Spirit wants to take you places. The question is, are you just going to go ahead and, and continue to drift? Are you going to go ahead and find the, the strength, the courage to put your sail up and to let God take you where God wants to take you? Loving Jesus and letting Him control your life other than that, the expression of being spirit-filled may be different for each and every one of us. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a lot of spirits. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to holiness because he's always going to be leading you to be like Jesus. So if you're not being convicted of sin, let me just say, cast that spirit out. Spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. Cast it out. And let the Holy Spirit lead you in holiness and power and anointing to do that which you'll never do apart from Him. What made John the greatest? One, he came from spirit-filled parents. And I will tell you this. I want that for all of you. That your children would say, we came from spirit-filled parents, spirit-filled grandparents, spirit-filled great-grandparents. I want that for you. Come on, moms and dads, listen. 
your kids need spirit-filled parents because your kids need a prophetic word, not a pathetic word. They need a prophetic word. They need you to begin to lead them in prophetic ways, in places where they are being called to be more God-like, more Christ-like, not pathetic ways that are going to lead them into sin, lead them into places where they don't know. Listen, your kids need you to lead them. Come on, amen. They need you to lead them, not you follow them. They need spirit-filled parents. And whatever that looks like in your home, you need to let the Spirit lead you there. Because your kids need to see Jesus in you. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Holy Ghost, for what you're doing in our lives and moving in this place today. And I pray for those, Lord, that you're convicting of sin. I pray for those, Lord, that you're encouraging. I pray for those who are growing today, for those, Lord, who need you today. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in this place, Father, to draw those who are lost, to bring healing to those who are bound up and hurting. Have your way in their lives and in each and every one of our hearts, oh God. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want this to be personal, not embarrassed to God. How many of you would say, Pastor, you know what? I have never been born again. I don't take that for granted in anybody. You can be in church your whole life and not be born again. Are you born again? Has there been that moment when you accepted Christ and you knew that your sins were forgiven, the guilt was lifted, your life was transformed, the Holy Spirit began to bring transformation in your life? You see, without that, we're just walking through the religious motions. If you have not been born again, God's hands are outstretched to you. And he says, come unto me. I know you're weary. I know you're heavy laden. I know there's burdens that have been laid upon you. I know. I know. And I'm, I'm speaking to your heart right now to come to me. If that's you today, I, I'd just love to pray for you. But it's between you and him. But if that's you, would you raise your hand up so I can see it, just so I can pray for you? Is there anybody here that would say, I need that today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I thank you. Come on. Any others in here? That, I, I know, again, I, I want to make sure that heaven gets full. Hell gets empty. Lord, you see the hands of those, Father, who have called out to you today. And I pray, God, as they come to you. In fact, let me ask you all to say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior, and forgive me of my sins. I need you in my life. Holy Spirit, seal me into the day of redemption. Fill my sails. Let my life be made new. In Jesus' name. Now listen, I believe there's others in here, though, that you know, you know, you've let your sail down. 
Oh man, you, you've maybe accepted Christ, but you know that you've been missing the power of God. You've been missing the presence of God. You've been missing the wind of God. And you need your sails to be filled. Listen, this is a point where I say, you know what? I'm hoisting the sail. And it begins with your hand, your response to God. Come on, have you let your sails down? If that's you today, just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Look at the sails going up all over the place. Come on, God. Fill our sails today. Fill us up, oh God. Fill our lives. Fill our hearts. Fill our minds. Fill us up, Lord, with your presence. We lift our sails. We come in repentance. We come in life. We come in liberty to say, God, I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit, to make my life more like Jesus. Come, fill me up, oh God. Fill my heart. Fill my soul. Holy Spirit, move in me. Move in me. Come on, just keep your sails up. Just see yourself in praise and worship as Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, as he began to speak, began to praise and to worship God. Come on. Declare this today. You're all I want. You're all I've Oh, just tell it. You're all I
few weeks to look at all the different, there's many different aspects of why John was greatest. We'll look at those. But today I, I want to dismiss you. I want you to know that church is not over. Church is ready to begin. So you go out there and go be the church. Go be the spirit-filled church. Go put your sails up and let him fill you up. God bless you. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Find a life group and get yourself plugged in. God bless you. Yeah.